It happens every year after I come back from uh, vacation. I'm so excited to get back into the pulpit, podium, whatever you call this, um, that I talk a lot. And so the first service is always like really long. I pray long. I introduce everything long. I don't want it to end. So buckle up. I'm kidding. A little bit. Um, Our scripture reading this morning is from the book of Hebrews, chapter 1. We're going to read just the first four verses of Hebrews chapter 1 together. You can probably find it on your app, maybe even in the liturgy on your church app, and of course in your Bible if you've brought one with you. Hear these words from Hebrews chapter 1. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Um, I've been away for a little while, but I know what's been happening here at Grace Valley, and I know that... uh, For the last number of weeks, you've been walking through this series with Mark, uh, entitled Jesus and the Surprising Heart of God. And one of the things that uh, Mark has been showing us over these last number of weeks is how God the Father and God the Son are united in their purposes for God's people in their mission toward God's people in the things they're after and hoping to accomplish in God's people. They have the same heart towards us. God the Father, God the Son have the same heart towards us, God's people. They have the So in other words, they're on the same page. They're they're after the same thing. That's what you've been sort of unpacking the last number of weeks together. And when When I meet people who uh, ask the question, well, what is God like? One of the things I like to to answer is, I like to say, well, if you want to know what God is like, just look at Jesus. That's what God is like. God is spirit. He is unseen and unseeable. So if you want a picture of this spirit in the flesh and you want to know what his character is like and what his being is like, you look at Jesus. Now, that's not my idea, okay? I mean, it's a great idea, but I didn't come up with the idea. It comes straight out of the Bible. It comes straight out of this passage. Look at what it says in verse 3. It says, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and what? The exact representation of his being. Jesus Christ is the exact representation of the person of Jesus Christ. And it says that he is the radiance of God's glory. Let me ask you a question. What do you think is the ultimate human experience? Of all the experiences a human being could have, 
over the course of their lifetime, what is the ultimate experience? No, it's not going to Atlantis and Bahamas and riding the massive water slide. I've watched videos of that. I really want to do that someday. But that is not the ultimate human experience. You know what the Bible says the ultimate human experience is? It's what's called the beatific vision. Any of you ever heard that term before, the beatific vision? The beatific vision basically means the direct communication of the glory and majesty of God to an individual. Some of you may know uh, in the Old Testament, there was a, a guy named Aaron. He was the high priest of the people of Israel, and he was known for proclaiming a blessing on God's people. It became known as the Aaronic blessing, and it said this, May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. That's the beatific vision, to have an encounter with the glory of God. Well, how do you have an encounter with the glory of God? Hebrews says... You do it through the sun because the sun is what? The radiance of the glory of God. He is the radiance of the glory of God. In other words, through Jesus Christ, the glory of God shines through. You want to have an encounter? You want to have a beatific vision? You have an encounter with Jesus, who is, it says, the exact representation of the Father. Now, it's a very interesting word, representation. What does that mean? It's actually the Greek word character. And the word for being is the word for substance. So what it's saying is, is what Hebrews is trying to get at is, you know, when you, when you ask, I want to know what a person is made of, or when you think of an individual and you say, Maybe they're applying for a job or they're trying out for a sports team or, or they're being included in a group or whatever uh, that has an important task. You say, you say, I hope that they're made of the right stuff. What Hebrews is saying is, is that Jesus is, is his, the substance of his character. The stuff of Jesus is the same thing as the Father. And it says, he sustains all things by the word of his power. And, and if you know your Bible well, you might hear an echo there of Genesis chapter 1 that says God spoke and things came to be. So Jesus is the exact representation of who God is. Now let me just, before we actually get to the sermon, this is all introduction, let me apply this to you because this is really important. You know what this means? And maybe it's because I just got back and I want to be sort of controversial right off the bat. What this means is you can't really say, I believe in God without believing in Jesus. Can you believe in God without believing in Jesus? Well, not really, according to the Bible. You, can, you, you hear people talk about, well, I believe in God, but I don't really believe in Jesus. And you know what they actually mean? They mean they believe in a higher power. They believe in a transcendent being. They believe in a spiritual world. And that, you can believe in that, certainly. You can believe that there is something beyond the physical realm called the spiritual realm where there is a being or beings that exist. Yes, you can believe that, but... but the Bible defines God in a very specific way. God 
is the Father of the Son, Jesus Christ. And so you can't really believe in God as He truly is without believing in Jesus Christ. In 1 Timothy, the Apostle Paul writes this. He says, There is one God and one mediator between God and humankind, the man Jesus Christ. There is one God and one mediator between God and humanity, the man Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not suggesting to you that if you have a neighbor or a friend and you're in a religious kind of spiritual kind of conversation and they say to you, yeah, I believe in God, but I don't believe in Jesus, that you look at them and say, well, not really. I'm not suggesting you do that. What I am saying to you who are in the church is you need to be very, very careful about how you think about these categories. Because Scripture basically says, listen, there's a God. He has revealed Himself in the person of Jesus Christ. And any, uh, any philosophizing about God, any religious uh, explanations of God that do not align with the picture of God shown to us in the exact representation of His being, that is, Jesus Christ, is actually not God, but a false God. And I know that that's in our culture. I mean, even as a, I'm a, I'm a Gen Xer, okay? So even just saying that, I'm a minister, but I'm a Gen Xer too. And just saying that makes me go, ooh, boy, like that's pretty, like, uh, that's one of the harsh, that's a harsh thing. Doesn't sound like it builds bridges. And I'm not saying that that's how you explain things to your unbelieving friend or neighbor. What I am saying is, is it's a category you need to understand in your own mind. You can't really, if Hebrews is true, you can't really believe in God, the one true God, without believing in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, that's actually not what this series has been about. This series has been about um, seeing how the character of Jesus is expressed in his ministry to us as a Savior. So you've looked at the joy of Jesus as our Savior. You've looked at uh, the sympathy of Jesus as our Savior. You've looked at the assurance of Jesus as our Savior. Last week, you looked at the intercession of Jesus as our Savior. And what they're all meant to do is they're all meant to show us how Jesus is a complete Savior, that He is the final Savior, that He is the only Savior that we need. He does absolutely everything. He accomplishes absolutely everything that we need in our salvation, in His own person and work. Nothing needs to be added. There is nothing lacking. Everything you could ever want, He's provided. That's what it's meant to show us. And one of the ways you can summarize the works of Jesus as our complete Savior is through this language of offices. Mark talked about this last week. In the Bible, in the Old Testament, there were, there were three offices. These were official positions that people held. There was the office of prophet, the office of priest, and the office of king. And you could be one of those offices, but not another of the offices. So Moses, for example, he was a prophet, but he was not allowed to be a priest. Eli, for example, is an Old Testament priest, but he wasn't allowed to be a king. David was an Old Testament king. He wasn't allowed to be a prophet. Now, that doesn't mean that a king could never prophesy. It doesn't mean that a priest could never act in a kingly fashion. 
It just means that these offices were separated and one individual was able to hold them and not the other simultaneously. But when you get to the New Testament, this is what's amazing, is that Jesus arrives and Jesus holds all three of those offices simultaneously and he executes the purposes of those offices simultaneously. What does that mean? Well, a prophet, his job was to represent God to the people. The priest's job, essentially, was to represent the people to God through the sacrificial system and through prayer. And the king meant to rule God's people on God's behalf. And Jesus comes along and he actually fulfills each and every one of the offices of Jesus Christ simultaneously. So what we're going to do is we're just going to walk through those uh, together for a few minutes this morning. We're going to walk through these three offices. We're going to spend most of our time on prophet and priest and then a little bit on, on the kingship, but we're going to really look at the kingship of Jesus Christ next week. So let's have a look. First, and by the way, they're all right here in this passage. Hebrews 1, 1 to 4 explains absolutely everything. So let's have a look. Okay, first of all, Jesus is God's final, ultimate prophet. Verses 1 and 2, it says, in the past, God spoke to all the, or sorry, spoke to our answers, <laughs> ancestors, through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. Now, what Hebrews is saying is that in the Old Testament, before God spoke to his people in all kinds of ways, in all kinds of places. So he spoke to them through prophets, as of course makes sense, but he also spoke to them in different ways. He spoke to them through visions. He spoke to his people through uh, what are called theophanies, which were appearances of God, uh, spiritual appearances of God, not him himself, but appearances of him. He spoke to them in riddles, he spoke to them in Proverbs. He spoke to them in poems. He spoke to them through all kinds of people. He even once spoke to his people through a donkey. So he wasn't limited to just human beings either. Uh, but what it also means is that in the past, God spoke to his people in a piecemeal fashion. So he gave them some revelation here. And then later on uh, in history, he gave them some more revelation. And then as time went on, he gave them some more revelation. And so there was always more revelation to come. What, but what Hebrews is saying is that in the coming of Jesus Christ, God's revelation of himself, what, who he was, what he, what, he, what he was doing in the world and for his people, and what he wanted from us, his people, was complete and final in the person person of Jesus Christ. In Jesus, no more revelation was required. Everything that needed to be revealed was revealed. Now, why? Why is Jesus the final word, the final prophet? Now, I'll get to that in a second, but before we do, I want to just share with you an implication of, of the fact of Jesus as the final revelation from God. And there's a lot of things to be said. I, uh, some of you may be talking about, does God speak to me directly today, etc. I'm not really going to address that. What I'm going to address is one thing. Because Jesus is the final revelation from God, it means that you can absolutely have a solid relationship with him. A solid relationship. Two words, two aspects. Second word first, relationship. How do you relate? How do we relate 
How do you have a relationship with someone? It's been a summer of vacationing and traveling and stuff like that. And many of you have been in all kinds of beautiful vistas, right? You've, you've been to the mountains or you've been to the beach or you've been to the ocean or whatever. And, and you've, you've laid down on a dock and you've looked up at the night sky and seen the stars. And it's just been absolutely beautiful and breathtaking. But does that replace friendship? Does that replace marriage? See, those relationships that you have that are breathtaking and beautiful and maybe even cause a bit of an emotional response from you, they are fundamentally impersonal because how do you have relationship? It's through language. It's through communication of ideas and thoughts and emotions and desires between two individuals. You see, God in the Bible is a personal God. He has a personality. He thinks he wants, he has desires, he has ideas, and he communicates those things to us. And because Jesus is that final revelation you can of the word, he's the final word of God, you can actually have a relationship with him. It's remarkable to think that when God said, how am I going to communicate to these people? He didn't just give a book. He didn't just give instructions. He gave a person because God is fundamentally relational with us. And the relationship that we have with him is solid. Now, what do I mean by that? Look, people are fickle. People are a pain, hey? Aren't they? <laughs> you know, some people are just moody. And you wonder what kind of relationship you have with them based upon their moodiness. They wake up and they come out of, out of bed or have breakfast or whatever. And you're like, who am I? Am, what, what Bob am I talking to right now? Right? This grumpy Bob or is this happy Bob? Happy Bob's a lot of fun to get along with. Grumpy Bob, you can't say anything right with him. And maybe your Bob. Do we have any Bobs here? I don't think so. I try to pick a name that actually doesn't exist in the community. But maybe that's you. You're a moody person. Or maybe you live with a moody person. And you spend a lot of time walking on eggshells trying to figure out who am I talking to today. But not only that, people change over time. People are different from one year to the next year or five years down the road, and, and the relationship with them can change, not necessarily because you've changed, but because somehow they've changed, and their desires are different, their expectations are different, whatever, their experiences are different. And so relationships on this side of heaven, human relationships anyway, on this side of heaven are always precarious, even the very best ones. But as James says, in James chapter 1, verse 17, all good gifts come from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. You and I, we are like shifting shadows. But God does not change. Jesus, not, Jesus does not change. Those of you, by the way, uh, those of you, by the way, who think that God loves you more when you're not sinning, do not understand that God does not change. And I think I just nailed almost everybody in this room. If that's not you, you are one unbelievable saint. Because I know in my life, when I'm doing it right, 
God loves me. When I'm doing it wrong, he's had enough of me. As Mark said last time, the intercession of Jesus means that God is unchanging. He is always applying his justification to you. You can't surprise him. I'm getting to my last application right now, but that's okay. We'll, do it. we'll just do it twice. You can't surprise and disappoint God the way you constantly surprise and disappoint yourself. Because he is unchanging. You're changing, yes. And so you're always walking around thinking about, oh, what's wrong with me? What's my problem? How come I'm this? How come I'm that? Well, because you've been changing and you can't nail yourself down. But God, who is unchanging, is not like that. You can have an absolute solid relationship with him. Now, why is Jesus the final word? We're going to the second point. It's because Jesus is the final priest. In verse 3, the second half, it says, He provided purification for sins, and he sat down at the right hand of the majesty of heaven. Now, quick recap. Mark talked about this last week, so we don't have to go in details. The role of the priest was to bring God's people to God through prayer and through sacrifice, right? Old Testament priests constantly sacrificing animals, right? They were like butchers, just like one after the other. Go, go, go. Blood spilling everywhere. And they're sprinkling it on the people. And they're sprinkling it on themselves. And they go into the holiest of holies and they sprinkle it on the mercy seat. All this blood everywhere. What in the world's going on? What's up with the blood? Well, here's what's up with it. Sin deserves death. Sin deserves death, the shedding of blood. And so in the Old Testament, the priests were symbolizing the death that human beings deserve by killing all these animals and sacrificing them on behalf of the people who deserve death. And sin is a barrier to God. Sin keeps us distant from God. Remember, God is a relationship, wants a relationship, a solid relationship with us, but because of sin, we've cut off that relationship. And so how do we get back? Well, blood symbolized our being purified of our sin. Now, you might think that's weird, but think about this. It does not matter how compassionate a worldview you have, how kind and caring you are. You go to Toronto and you get on a subway and there's a, there's a homeless person on that subway, and you are very compassionate and empathic about their circumstance, you try to get close to them, and because of their circumstances, because there's urine, there's dirt, etc., you recoil, you cannot help but recoil at the uncleanness. You cannot help it. Why do you think there's a saying, cleanliness is next to godliness? Because the people who said that, they understood the Old Testament. Sin is our spiritual barrier, just like uncleanness is a, spiritual barrier, is a physical barrier between us. You say, well, that was extreme to talk about homelessness. We're fine. Husbands, I'm going to be very stereotypical. I'm going to assume that if you have a push mower, it's mostly husbands who are mowing the lawn in downtown Dundas. And if you're like me, you, uh, it's like the one time you'll take off your T-shirt and you mow the lawn and you drip with sweat, and then you come inside, and you try to hug your wife. And she says, So sin makes us impure, and it creates a barrier between us and God. 
And Hebrews is saying to us that, that Jesus, after he had made purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. What that means is, is he had completed the purification that we all needed, finally and fully and completely. No more sacrifices required. Purification, excuse me, purification is accomplished. He's the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. Nothing needs to be added to that. Now, because he did that, the message of that is the ultimate revelation of God. Do you see how Jesus is the ultimate priest and the ultimate prophet? He's the ultimate prophet because he's the ultimate priest, because he, could, he finally got us off of this wheel of constant uh, sacrificing for sin and trying to live up to the, to the standards set before us, etc. Because he did it all and he paid it all, he is the final revelation of the word of God because God's word has always been driving to this point where we would, we would be reconciled to him once and for all, fully and completely, with ever out having to worry about whether we're in or we're out, whether we're in his good graces or when we're in the doghouse with him. He was going to put an end to all that. That's the revelation. That's the message. That's, the, the, that's what the entirety of the New Testament is talking about. He's the final prophet and the final priest. And by the way, this is why I'm called a pastor or a minister and not a priest. We got one priest and he's done it all. This is why, by the way, we pray in Jesus' name. It's through Jesus that we have access to the Father. So we pray in Jesus' name Da, 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 da. Now, Mark talked about the intercession of Jesus last week, and, and he said, it was really a great, um, a great definition, he said it is the ongoing application of our justification. Jesus' intercession, meaning Jesus before the throne of the Father, praying on our behalf. It's the ongoing application of our justification. What that means basically is this. If you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you've put your trust in him, God looks at you, as it were, through the lens of Jesus. God the Father is here. Jesus is here. You're here. And every time God the Father looks at you, he looks at you through the lens of Jesus Christ. Meaning that, that he doesn't see your sin, he doesn't see your shortcomings, he doesn't see your failures, he sees the perfect image of his son who never sinned, who obeyed him completely, the only person who ever lived, who loved the Lord his God with all his heart, all his mind, all his strength. And he applies that to you and he says it's as if that's you. That's the ongoing application of your justification. And that emphasizes sort of the sacrificial side, the sacrifice side of the work of the priest. But I want to just talk a little bit about the prayer side of the word, word of the priest. You struggle. We all worry about stuff, right? We are all afraid of things. And we have, right now we have good, thing, good reasons to be afraid. I mean, you of course have the COVID stuff, but School starting up, and parents are worried about how kids are going to do in school, of course. Uh, people are, are con constantly concerned about their finances, about their health. Look, life, life has lots of reasons to worry and be afraid. But the intercession of Jesus Christ, it means 
that Jesus brings all of your fears and all of your worries and all of your, your, your anxieties to the Father. And he prays them on your behalf. He speaks to the Father on your behalf. He, he advocates for you on your behalf before the Heavenly Father. And what's more, most of the time, you and I know, you're bringing the wrong stuff to, Jesus, to God, right? You're saying, oh man, I'm worried about my kids and their, you know, what their friendships are like or who they're dating or what their future is. And God, you know, please help them to see that they need to go to this job or they should go to that school or whatever. Like we know, we don't really know. We think that that's the most important thing that our kids uh, are dealing with. Or we look at our finances and we live in the first world and, and we have multi-thousand dollar uh, homes and we, we worry about our, our, our retirement funds and stuff like that when you, after watching, you know, uh, watching images of, of people in Haiti putting up a stick and a tarp because that's what they're going to live under. And we, so we, we ask God about all the wrong things or often the wrong things. And the intercession of Jesus teaches us that, you know what, because God knows what's good for us and he knows what matters and he knows what's important, he actually prays the important things to the Father for us. Louis Burkhoff, he's a theologian, wrote a systematic theology about 100 years ago. He says this, and it's really good. He says, it is consoling, it is a consoling thought that Christ is praying for us, even when we are negligent in our prayer life. You're not praying. He's always praying. That he is presenting to the Father those spiritual needs which were not present to our minds and which we often neglect to include in our prayers. And that he prays for our protection against the dangers of which we are not even conscious. And against the enemies which threaten us, though we don't even notice it. He is praying that our faith may not cease. And that we may come out victoriously in the end. You're not even praying for the right things. You don't even know what's really threatening your spiritual life and the life of your family. You, we don't know. And Jesus does and makes sure that he is interceding to the Father on our behalf at every moment. We neglect to pray half the time. Half the time you're falling asleep at the end of the day and you're like, oh, I forgot to pray. Heavenly Father, please. <clears throat> He's not like us. Now, think about this. If you could hear Jesus praying for you, what would that do to your confidence? You've got all your stuff that's getting you worked up. You know that Jesus is praying for you before the Father. Right now, at this moment, if you could hear him praying for you, what would that do to your confidence? Robert Murray McShane, an 1800s minister, he said this, if I could hear Jesus praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. Yet distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. And he's accomplishing what he wants to happen. Last thing. Like, what's the point of praying to someone who can't do anything about it? 
right? Well, there's a lot of reason to pray to Jesus, pray to God through Jesus, because Jesus is the final king. We're going to talk more about this next week, but let me just whet your appetite. Verse 3, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. He sat down. That's language of royal sovereign power. That's what Hebrews is getting at. He's conquered. There are no enemies for Jesus to fight anymore. There is nobody pretending to the phone. There is no conspiracy. There is no cabal. There is no coup on the way. No, no, no. There are no enemies that Jesus has to concern himself with because he has finally defeated all enemies. And he is on the throne reigning in supremacy. And in verse 4 it says, So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Let me just tell you this. Um, I've never seen an angel, but I've watched the Avengers. And I must, and I gotta admit, I assume like Thor. Who's that? Who's that woman one? Who's like Seth? You know everything about the Avengers. Who's the woman who is all powerful? Captain Marvel. I assume angels are like that. I know the Bible says that they're far more powerful than me. They're far more beautiful than me. They're far more intelligent than me. There's only one step up in the created order from angel. And that's Jesus. He controls the universe. Despite what you see around you, despite what you wonder, despite what your own gut sometimes and the devil in the world whispers in your ear, even despite your pastor's anxious congregational prayer when he's talking about the world falling apart, Despite all that, this is my Father's world. You know what it says in that, that old hymn? That though the wrong seems oft so strong, he is the ruler yet. More next week. He is your prophet, your priest, and your king. Pray with me, please. Heavenly Father, hallelujah. Thank you for sending Jesus our prophet, our priest, our king. Thank you that he is everything we could ever need. And he's everything anybody could ever need. Give us a burden to share him with anybody who will give us even a moment's opportunity to do it. And may his office as prophet, priest, and king, may that console our hearts as we walk day by day with you. In Jesus we pray, amen.